Nick. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm fine, yeah. Welcome. We're in London again. Welcome to the South Bank, Steve. Yeah. So, listeners, welcome. You're very welcome. We, we, Steve and I have come to met in central London today. Again. And, exactly. And we're at the Waterloo, we're at Waterloo Bridge, just on the South Bank. It's next, a lovely bridge, next, isn't it? It's a beautiful bridge. It's definitely not my favourite of the London bridges. Which is your favourite of the London bridges? I mean, there's bridges? no doubt. There's a Mac Daddy. Yeah. The Town, OG. Town Bridge. Of course. It's not even <laughs> close. It's not even close. I'm, I'm a bit of the Albert Bridge fan myself. Mate. You're just saying that to be different. That's what you're like. <laughs> do you know the, the old? You know the oldest bridge along this river is here. Uh, Blackfriars. No, no. Uh, Guess again. Know. London Bridge. Uh, of course. Well, that was built like there was a bridge there in medieval times. Right. But the stone. So it's bridge a different bridge to the current bridge. Oh it's yeah, just yeah. There was a bridge the, there. The, the bridge there now is built r- very recently, but there's been yeah. a bridge there. It was actually bought by an American, famously, and shipped That's right, to. Yeah. I think he. The, the, it's the Arizona kind of, or something. Yeah, the kind of the uh, the story is that. He was mistaken, and he thought he was buying Tower Bridge. That's not true, is it? Apocryphal. Yeah, 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 yeah cool. But anyway, yeah, there was. I think the original Stone Bridge built in about 1200, 1209, I believe. And then there were very few bridges on the um, on the South Bank. I didn't know we had a bridge podcast. <laughs> well, I don't know. Just thought I'd give you a little bit of um, okay. a little bit of orientation oh, background, okay. Steve. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. But all of these bridges, they, none of none of these ones were really built until the late eighteen hundreds, and. The, the next one near here that was built was Westminster Bridge, right. just built in the in the mid to late 1700s. So this area here that we're on was kind of deserted for a long time. It's marshland. There's nothing here up until the 1800s, really. It's amazing to think, isn't it? We think all of these people drinking coffee and their espressos and their you know annoying children walking past and things. Exactly. Yeah, they would just be clambering across sandbanks and things. But yeah, yeah. so um, yeah, there's a lot more activity here than used to be. But it's a cool place to hang out. So. I like it because the BFI's here as well, which is where we've gone and watched things, Steve. We podcasted, podcasted from the floor exactly. of the BFI. There's the Tate Modern a bit yeah. further the down. The Wobbly Bridge. Wobbly Bridge, we've yeah. St Paul's Cathedral see, in, the, yeah, in the distance. I'm, look, I'm looking past Steve's head at the moment. Um, surprisingly, that St Paul's Cathedral is not obscured by his giant <laughs> noggin. And we can see so other mean. buildings on the other side of the river. I think, I don't know what they are, but... So last um, time we were in London, Nick, we did a, a kind of a geolocation tagged podcast. We Are we going to do the same one this time? I don't think so. Well, we have a chat. I've got, I've got some, some chit-chat, which is relevant to where we are, and some more general chit-chat. It's like the summer, summer, summer version of the podcast happens outside with people in the background. Is, and the winter is. where we go back into our caves. It is, yeah. But anyway, should we, uh, we start talking a little bit more about some science shit? Yay! have you been steve so what have you been up to what's going on science wise in your life science wise um not really much i've been going into the lab about once or twice a week now once or twice a week yeah. wow that's a and it annoys me when i go there no one's in the lab ever does it yeah and everyone then <laughs> complains that they can't get time and the instruments um no, of course I love my lab. They're all working very uh, terribly hard through difficult it's times. It's person variable in my labs. Oh, really? Yeah. Some people are there rolling their sleeves, like getting involved. Other people are a little bit kind of not so keen. I think they've all hit kind of fatigue. A lot of them oh, are just struggling so. a bit of like actually... I felt the newer PhD students, Dick, they've never known science no. in like our normal way. All they've ever known is coming in, there's no one in the lab, you do your experiments, you go home. And I, I, don't, I don't feel like that's how... You know, I know it's quite PhD peaceful, though, isn't it? <laughs> 
if you've got stuff to do and it's like I remember that when I was when I were a lad when I were when a I lad. were a lad um, yeah when it was a weekend sometimes yeah. you'd come in and it would be really serene oh because no one would be in done. and it yeah. also feels like a bit of a bonus doesn't yeah, it the yeah. particularly if the boss comes in and sees you working <laughs> on a Saturday oh the kudos oh the kudos <laughs> or oh, my boss never would <laughs> ever have come in on Saturday in a million it didn't even come in Fridays yeah <laughs> I've actually I've, I had to refocus some of our meetings in the lab because I Did worked you? it out last la- in the last 30 days I've done 154 zooms Crikey. Yeah, and I said, this is unsustainable. I can't keep doing it. Yeah, so I've yeah. had to retweak how I meet with my group because it's just, I, I just didn't do any work because I spent all of my time on back-to-back calls. I think I'm probably doing something similar at the moment. But I find them quite constructive these days because it's like, you meet, uh, you know, it depends how big your group. I mean, my group's smaller than yours, Steve. But, you know, I meet most of my students every week for, you know, half an hour to an hour. Mm. And then we have a lab meeting every couple of weeks. So it's not too bad. And I have sort of bants with other colleagues from, you know, work-related chats. That's what I miss. So I miss just having a little chat with someone, yeah. thinking about a problem, I think hearing about spend, what other stuff's But doing. it's true. I probably spend half of my week in meetings, yeah. 50% of my time these days. And the other half of the week is I can do stuff. Yeah, so, I've got, so, I'm, so I'm trying to free up my half of week, and I yeah. think I've done that now. But, yeah, it's going really well. Um, science is going well. We're getting loads of stuff. I have lots of bureaucracy things within the university, but who hey would have ho. expected anything yeah. else? Yeah, how's your startup? Oh, I'm going to tell you about that, Nick. <laughs> Can't wait. We've got a series. Got a new, well, I might make a jingle. It's called Steve's Stupid Startup. Oh, my God. I'm, I've decided I wasn't busy enough, so I should start a company. Steve, are you going to get rich and then build a penis-shaped rocket and go <laughs> to space? 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to be one of your passengers, just putting it out there. You wouldn't get on a rocket? Uh, I think I'd be a bit frightened. At the moment, I feel. Okay, so here's, here's, my, here's my, my argument right. for that, right? I'd wait until so it's been done a few times. At the times. moment, it's 250,000 quid, right, to go, up, to go up in Virgin Galactic or in Blue Origin. Well, when right? it starts, right? It hasn't now, started yet. Now, yeah, but you can take... Can you, you book? Can, yeah, of course. Shit, really? Right. On like a cardo? So if someone gets... Yeah, exactly, there's an app. <laughs> can you book travel on a cardo? <laughs> Is that a shopping thing? <laughs> Am I thinking of Expedia? Yeah, you are, yeah. Oh, right, okay. um, right. right, so at the moment, if someone gave me 250 grand yeah. and said, how do you want to spend it? I yeah. think I would rather spend 250,000 pounds on travelling the world than I would do on a 45-minute ride into I'd space. I'd buy a house and be mortgage-free. Oh, you're <laughs> so disgusting. No, but you can't do that. You've either got to spend it on travel or go into space. Travel. Right, but now let's turn the number down. Let's go to 100 grand. Right. 50 grand. Yeah. 20. I think, for me at the moment... 50 grand is probably the number. I, I would, would take a loan grand. out to go to space for 50 you're grand. I think you right. Like that. I think I might do the same. But I'd wait until it's been done <laughs> a lot of times and it's safe. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't want to do it now in like some cat-handed rocket thing. But, okay, yeah, but... Um, if, well, Jeff Bezos has been up. He's safe. Like, you know, f- like... Uh, Sir yeah, but Sir I was Richard's hoping it would blow up. And I, I had a... Reli- no, I do wasn't you know, hoping. Do you know that, do you know that rocket say. is completely autonomous? There's no, there's no driver I in it. I did know that, yeah, because they were criticised because none of them are astronauts. Because yeah, to be an astronaut officially... Well, they changed the rules, didn't in, they? In, in, to be an astronaut officially, you have to be doing some kind of... Science. Work. Some kind of employment. Either piloting or having another job. Right. None of them. They were just sitting there like. But then they'll just play the game. I just sit there and go, "Can you twiddle this? You know, can you make make a measurement here or do a podcast? Does that count? If you went up and gave a podcast, that you, space. Yeah, probably would count. Well, do you remember I was really annoyed at that? What Maybe was we could the first podcast in space, that? Nick. What was that? British we could start a Kickstarter. <laughs> Viewers, if you want to see Nick and I Look, in space, Steve, everyone <laughs> hates podcasts. <laughs> that would turn people off immediately. Anyway. It's true. Um, Sorry. What saying. was that dude who went up into the British dude? Who's the British astronaut? Tim Peake. What? 
because he was like went up and what the hell was he doing he was just doing a big public he was just talking on he was wanging um, like he was talking on wanging the one show out. that was yeah. all he did he was like a one show correspondent so so you, you don't consider Tim Peake an astronaut no by pointless <laughs> and he, if you ever heard him speak I mean sorry Tim Peake but yeah. You, you don't look very funny or interesting. You know, you may have been you to want space. You want more from your... Yeah, crack a couple of jokes. Yeah. Have a bit of banter. Right. There's I, nothing there. I agree. He's or like a, he's like like a like really space s- version of Ben Bloody Fogel. <laughs> <laughs> Get a personality, mate. CEO entrepreneur, born in 1964, Jeffrey. So, I've been um, not doing a whole lot recently, Steve. No. Not a lot going on. There's some projects moving forward. We've got this bubble project at the moment. Bubbles, yeah, I've heard about your bubbles. Oh, it's quite exciting because my friend's doing, um, my colleague is very, he does high-speed imaging. Yeah. 10 million frames per second. That's a lot. Incredible. And my student, very talented student called Oliver, he got some great videos of bubbles moving vibrating at a frequency of a million times a second. A microsecond, nice. A microsecond. And he was able to show the bubble oscillating. Actually, based I might on your brain, brother. We've got that problem with my startup. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Anyway, I was that was the most exciting thing that's happened to me recently. So that's carrying on. And we're looking at the way it's pushing cells how, around. How, bi- how big are your bubbles? The bubbles are around three microns in okay, diameter. So that's, So if three microns, I guess, I'm trying to think about. It's about a tenth the size of a human cell. I um, mean, a human cell you see under the microscope. So they're very, very small, tiny little bubbles. You can't see them. Yeah. You certainly can see them with your naked eye. So, yeah, you have to use a microscope to look at them. But then we just get these. I mean, the videos, when you look at them, if you didn't know what it was, you just think, whoa, what's, this is what's bubble. that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, like a, a round thing, like going wobbling. in and out. But when you think that this camera is taking one million frames per second, mm. you know, the actual time that it takes the video... It's like you wouldn't even see the flash. No, in fact, probably if you were to play, and put it another way, if you were to play back one second of of recording that, it would take a million seconds to watch. Oh, my God. (laughs) And how many days is a million seconds? Well, if you do it 25 frames a second, it would be 250,000 seconds to watch. Well, someone should calculate. I mean, the 3,600 seconds in an hour. Yeah. So, yeah, it's days. It's days. Anyway, the videos are not that long, thankfully. They're 128 skip to the end. <laughs> you, can just, you can just take a little crop of that you don't anyway, have to watch all of the frames anyway that's what my guys do so it's all good yeah everything's fine basically it's going nicely Are you ex- not a lot's does, going on does, but does, has corona made you excited about science nick i find i lose my, my enthusiasm a bit because i'm just not I feel I, a not bit involved with it as much. i feel like i've kind of semi-retired <laughs> almost a little bit he's got tenure <laughs> his feet are up oh, i've got a new job steve as well what's your new job deputy head of school Ooh. Like that sounds like you have to have like annoying conversations with people that don't want to do stuff. That sort of thing, yeah, yeah. meetings. Right. Admin stuff. I bet you're really good at that. You're quite good at people. I don't know. We'll see how it gets I'm on. Just, I'm, just I'm doing it for three years because I thought that would be a good thing to do to... Get promoted? <laughs> well, promotion <laughs> is obviously on my agenda, but I think it's just... It's good to have different experience. I agree. You know, I, I don't think I want to do exactly said, the same thing. Said exactly like a deputy head of the department. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Stephen, um, I've got 
question for you. Yeah. I was thinking about something, right? So yeah. lockdown has done a lot of things. One oh. of the things I've been, what have you been up to in lockdown? How has your life changed in lockdown? Oh, I'm at home more. I'm at home more? Uh, otherwise, not a lot. One of the things I did, because I live in London, right? So normally yeah. what I don't care about is like a car, right? Yeah. Because uh, obviously we have incredible public transport You don't need in a car in London, really. Definitely not. I it's lived here 10 pain. years. I never owned a car. Well, during the lockdown, I felt bad about getting on public transport because obviously I didn't want to kill people. So I bought a car, right? Right. So I now have a car, um, which I don't really use because now the world's opening up again. But in, in the process of drawing a car, driving a car, it's, an, it's a relatively new car. It's five years old. Right. Um, but it's got a little button on it, Nick. You push the little button and then the windscreen wipers just work on their own. You don't have to turn them on or off. And it got me thinking. Oh, you mean it senses when it rains? Yeah, it got me thinking. Yeah. How does it work? So how, do, how does that work then, Steve? Well, how do you think? Well, the water lands on the windscreen. The water, okay, so we're driving along, it starts to rain, right? Yeah. And then, you know, the idea is, is that a little bit of water might land on the windscreen. The car's got a sense that somehow turn on the windscreen wipers. And if it starts raining more, yeah. it's got to figure out how to go a bit faster and to, you know, and do this all, do this all the know, time. It right. doesn't matter and what the kind of rain or wind and is my, my and the speed of the car. My Renault Clio yeah. has that. Okay. And that's a Renault Clio built in 2008 how does it work steve <laughs> how do i'm assuming there's a sensor yeah, with an that's true of anything thing on it <laughs> and a water droplet falls on it and then there's a changing conductance so you think it's conductance based i mean um, that would be a way of doing I it i guess but i don't know so i got looking so I, so before i tell you how it works i went all the way back to like well how old are windscreen wipers right you know um and they go back a long way 60s i would think 50s uh, oh no maybe even before that so 20s? the earliest patent for a windscreen wiper is a guy called George Capewell of Hartford, Connecticut, which was filed on August the 6th, 19, sorry, 1896. Blow me down. Yeah. Is that for a car or for he a... He described it as cars, locomotives and, la and such land vehicles. Right, <laughs> he described okay. them. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. got to be all-encompassing with a patent, isn't it? You well, can't... Ab absolutely. Um, <coughs> And that kind of changed, um, you know, there, there were lots of different versions of that. Like, that's not really as we would consider what a normal, like a windscreen wiper was today. That was like, probably a man with a cloth. It was basically a big, like a it was a big flywheel with a little stick that, that right. turned a flywheel into a reciprocating I I motion. I can picture yeah. that. Yeah, like a wheel with a cam on it. Exactly with a right. stick. And a little thing that all kind of yeah, wiped back yeah, and forth. Yeah. But what we consider, it's consider a kind of a, um, a kind of standard uh, uh, windscreen wiper Really, you know, kind of it happened both in England and in America at slightly different times. There's right. different patterns, but kind of early 1900s, right? right. About oh, that. Look at this oh, there's a, a guy coming past. back. Here he goes, a dude come past. He on must a really bike care about windscreen with wipers. With some music. I like people who do that. There's one who goes around in Salisbury. Yeah. And he's got a bike, but it's much more pimped up there. It's got a big flag at the back. There's a load of stuff on it. There's a ghetto blasker. And he just rides around Salisbury playing music with a smile on his face just to bring joy to people but it doesn't, some people don't like it though Nick some people are grumpy well they are the wankers <laughs> I agree I agree <laughs> anyway yeah 
back to windscreen wipers. Um, okay, so windscreen wipers of various different kinds happened early 1900s, 1910s. Yeah, yeah. The first intermittent windscreen wiper. Yeah. So turning it on and off. Yeah, yeah. Right. 1963. Bloody, hell, that's quite late. Was a. Can I tell you something that used to really excite me as a child? So I really like cars. Yeah. Most boys, I, I think, think so, like yeah. cars. I don't really. I'm not really into cars at all anymore. But Volvos with windscreen wipers on the headlights. Ooh, little diddy ones that come out. Little diddy ones on the headlights. Yeah. Well, you need Wipe that. in your headlights. Well, you need that in the Scandi countries, don't you? you? Do. Because it's all everyone. Because it's There's in the in the. There were a few things more. Do you know in a Volvo you can't turn off the headlights? They're always on. Are they? So check it. Every time you see like Volvo that. driving, you'll see the lights are on. Things like that, I don't like. <laughs> like I don't like when I don't put my seatbelt on and a, a, an alarm. Uh, you get a bong. I don't like that. You don't like the bong. Because why is it I doing can that? choose, not the car. Yes. <laughs> anyway, the, the, let me go back to windscreen wipers, right? Like, which might sound like a boring topic, but the, so the first 1963. So, so a lot of um, uh, work was done by General Motors to develop windscreen wipers. It seems right. to be right. 1962. There's a guy called Ke- Kearns who developed uh, the first intermittent uh, off-the-shelf using kind of electrical components. This is when but you switch on and it goes, and it waits a bit and then it goes. Do you know how the first one worked? It charged a capacitor. Oh, really? And, and it when it was built. full? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> it's it exactly reached. like those water buckets. It's exactly the same. Like kind of, kind of uh, Asian-inspired yeah, things you have in your garden. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right. But... Um, uh, so anyway, yeah. So, oh, so like, like the birds that dip. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. that, but just do it, done it with electrons. Yeah. Anyway, back to the auto one, right? The way right. it works, if you've ever... It's, what it does is it uses um, a beam of light bouncing off uh, the inside of your, of, the, of your windshield, right? So what you do is you take... You remember total internal reflection, Nick? We've spoken about that before, right? So total internal reflection is yeah. when you have a plate or a tube of glass and you shine a light down one end... And because of the reflectivity of the inside surface of the glass, the light will just bounce all the way along it. And if the angle was too great, it would come out. But as long as the angle's really shallow, it stays inside. Yeah, That's so how so fibre optics work. Exactly. So let's imagine, imagine you take a fish tank and you shine a, shine a laser pointer through it, right? And at some point, the laser is going to be bent by the water, but it's going to come out the other side yeah, of the yeah. fish tank. And as you bring it at a higher and higher angle, at some point, it completely reflects. Yeah. It doesn't come out the fish tank. It now yeah. reflects off the top, sur- the interface between the water and the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That process is called total internal reflection. Now, imagine instead of a fish tank, that's the surface, the inside of the surface of your windscreen in your car. Yeah. So what happens is normally there's a beam of, it's an infrared light. It's not colored, but it's bouncing off the inside of the surface of your windscreen. Yeah. Right. And it's, and it's hitting a detector on the other side. And so the detector's going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm receiving this beam of light all the time. That's, so this light is going... So you've got your pane of glass in your windscreen. Yeah. And the light is travelling inside the pane yeah, of glass. Yeah, it normally is. You know, like, if you look at the back of where the um, the uh, windscreen... Uh, sorry, the... Uh, what do you call it? The, 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 the piece of glass that allows you to see backwards. What's that called? The rear view mirror. Rear view mirror, thank you. Oh, God, <laughs> Jesus. Um, so it reminds me of the time Homer Simpson <laughs> tried to lose weight by listening to a tape. And then he accidentally listened to a vocabulary tape. And he was asking for things like a sex tetravail. <laughs> and when it was removed, he totally lost his vocabulary. And he was like, give me one of those things. These things are used for digging ice cream. Spoon, dear? 
<laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway, so, yeah, so you so really the name so, of that. So sometimes right. on the, if you look at the, fr- if you look, face your car, like on the bonnet looking forward, right? Look right. at the rear view mirror. There's normally like a little black thing that kind of like is where the rear view mirror is. It looks a bit more complicated than just where Oh, actually on the glass behind it. Exactly. Ah, right. That's where it is. No way! Right? And there's a little beam of light that bounces, that goes, that starts on the inside of your, of, oh, your, right. your, of your windscreen. Yeah, yeah. It, bounce, it goes through the glass in your windscreen. Reflects off reflects the Reflects off the, where the glass hits the, where the glass ends and the water and the air begins. Okay. And then reflects down and it hits a detector. Right, right, right. That's now on the inside so of the glass. So just to get this straight, yeah. you've got your black box. Yeah. You've got your glass pane. Yeah. On one side of the glass pane, there's a little shiny light. Yeah. It shines out. Yeah. Into the glass pane. Yeah. Hits the outside surface of the glass pane, yeah. bounces the, back the and air. is detected. Exactly. Right. Get it. Now, what happens? A little bit of rain falls on that area. Changes the refractive index. But Okay, but just a little bit now, a little, oh, a little speck. Bit. Nothing happens. So what that means is some of the light, not all of it, might be refracted through the glass now. So just like with our laser pointer in our fish tank. It come it out. Some of it comes out. Yeah, yeah. Because you refractive in the, the change. Yeah. So basically because you've got a layer of water on the outside, yeah. the refractive index changes at that surface. Exactly. I see. So no longer reflecti- reflection, transmission. A little bit of transmission. A little, little, little tiny so, spit. So the amount of light that's received back by the detector is decreased. Exactly. Right. And I guess there's a threshold. And then it goes right, turn on the windscreen wiper. And right. now let's imagine it's raining <laughs> bucket loads. Oh, right. It goes down. The amount of light that it receives goes down. Now the whole thing is glowing in water. And, that, la- and that, that, that beam of light goes straight out the front of your of your it's windscreen. clever, isn't it? Isn't it clever? Clever boys. <laughs> clever boys. Clever and, boy. that, and that is yeah. how... A automatic windscreen wiper works. I'll never, I'll never be able to sit in my car again in the same frame of mind that I had only five minutes ago, Steve. I'm Thank bad. you for that. Pleasure. Oh, Steve, we're on the South Bank. South Bank. I want to There's talk no to North you. Bank, is there? North, there, the embankment on the other side. You'd probably call it the embankment, wouldn't you? Yeah, but why isn't it called the North Bank? I don't know. I guess because the South Bank wasn't really here. You know, I was talking earlier yeah. on about how all of London was really on the North Bank of the river till the 1800s. It wasn't really until the 1800s that stuff appeared here. I, I would consider as a North Londoner that it's still mainly a North <laughs> of the river. See, I was a South Londoner for 10 years, mm. and it was just superior all around. Better people, better food, better booze, less pretension, mm. fewer hipsters. There's not as, not as many tube stations, that's There's for sure. certainly more accountants, trainee accountants, that In kind south, of thing. South great people. A lot of great people. Yeah, lots of uh, glass cubes on the back of Victorian houses. That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know a few of those people. <laughs> well, Joe, great on a glass cube. Yeah. Anyway, we're on the South Bank. Good. What do you think about when you think of the South Bank, Steve? Think of a few things. Okay, so I think about ice cream in the summer, like pop-up, like little like uh, like food, street food vendors in the summer, like little wonders, um, and and all things like the the Shakespeare's Globe. I think of on the South Bank, um, Wobbly Bridge, that kind of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, do you think of architecture at any stage? Oh, the ugly, 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 <laughs> brutalist architecture behind us. Yeah, I think it's something that Prince Charles called a carbuncle. So I'm I quite like brutalist stuff. Right. Um, I think it's kind of. I wish more of it was painted brilliant white. I'd agree with that. I think yeah. if it was all white, it'd look nice. Yeah. But anyway, it's all made of this sort of brutalist architecture, which is kind of very striking. And I think a lot of people associate it with crime, <laughs> dimly lit, pea-smelling precincts. Graffiti. Exactly, <laughs> that kind of thing. Dark. That's yeah. kind of what it's become associated with, which yeah. wasn't the aim Berlin. originally. The original aim was to have these kind of beautiful utopias where you'd have concrete buildings surrounded by part land with 
areas for pedestrians to yeah. walk. Much more pedestrian. A little bit like kind of um, Blade Runner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not not dystopia, utopia. <laughs> anyway, that was the aim. And so, if you look at architectural drawings from the fifties, that's what it looks like. You know, right. you've got this structure, and rather than having houses everywhere, you've got one of these structures and beautiful green lands for people to sit in. That didn't work out very well, did it? Didn't work out at all, <laughs> did it? Did it? And you think about like, like a car park. You think about brutalist stuff. Think about Clockwork Orange. You know, yeah. all of those scenes where the droogs walking around with mm -hmm. these horrible. In Thames, this was in Thamesmead where some of that was filmed. You know, concrete estates. Uh, it was associated with violence and horror and all the rest of it. So mm -hmm. it's not got a very good rep. But it just got me thinking about, you know, what what these buildings are and how they're made. And you know, what's the primary thing that they're made? Concrete. Of? Concrete, right? Concrete. Mm. What's concrete? Okay, you're gonna test me here. It's, it's three things typically. It's a combination of aggregate, cement, and something else. Well, uh, actually, it's just aggregate, aggregate and cement, Yeah. basically. Aggregate can be sand. Okay, fine. So, so I'd never really thought about concrete before, and it sounds a boring topic. It's more interesting than you well, think. Well, people come to this podcast for exactly boring <laughs> topics, Nick. We take something seemingly boring and make it a bit less boring. Yeah, so it's concrete. And, and brutalism, the word brutalism comes from the French word beton bru, which is, it just means unfinished concrete. That's basically what okay. it means. So a lot of these buildings, they're made of concrete with the sort of finishing from the moulds. So concrete's pulled Is that the, the origin of the word brutal as well? Brutal, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, brutalism. I always assume brutal br and brutalism think, were the same I think derivation. The, I think probably the word beton brut comes from brutalism. Okay. Brut brutal. Yeah, okay. But then the, the, the name brutalism it's, derives it's, it's, from the noun, yeah, for yeah, concrete. Okay, it's evolved. Okay, got it. Exactly, yeah. So you can probably put them back together at the end, but at the beginning. But... Anyway, yeah, so, so if you think about these buildings, think about how they're formed. So I just started thinking about concrete. But you're right, it's made of cement and aggregate. So I didn't really know that. I mean, aggregate is just... Stones. Stones, yeah. So one of the, the main types of, um, of aggregate comes from Australia. It's called blue metal, which is a type of sort of ground up. That sounds like something you might invest in on your stocks and shares, Nick. <laughs> Let's not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> don't talk about that. Anyway, yeah, so, yeah, it's ground-up uh, rock, basically, and then cement. Yeah. So, I mean, ground-up rock's pretty easy to understand. It's just bits of rock that you drag out of the ground and mash yeah. up, and you can get different grades of it, different size particles and all the rest of it. But cement is something a bit more interesting. Mm. So, really, it's cement. It's the main yeah. thing that it's made but if you of. Just, it would be presumably be a bit br more brittle if it didn't have the other rocks in it. I think so, yeah, mm. a bit less strong. Uh, concrete is very strong in compression, not so good in tension. That's why you have little bit steel girders and things yep. through it. But, but anyway, so um, do you know how long cement's been around? I think the Romans had cement, didn't they? Even prehistorically, yeah. yeah people think that. So it was discovered kind of by accident. There's a quote here by a, Ro by a Roman dude. Um, he says, and this was written in, in some years BC. He said... It is a kind of powder that causes astonishing results. It he's is found he's in Roman. British. It should have an Italian accent. And um, <laughs> think of uh, think of like British TV dramas. Oh, okay, fine. You're, you're yeah, being. You're imagine being like I'm wearing Oliver a toga. Reed or something. <laughs> yeah, I do, let's not. I'm not Frankie Howard, but something <laughs> a bit different. It is found in Briare. I can't say the name. Right. It's a complicated name. Around Mount Vesuvius, it lends strength to building, but even piers of it set hard underwater. So that's the thing about it. It sets, right? So uh, concrete would no be so cement would be no good if it didn't set. Mm, indeed, couldn't build a bridge out of it. No, no. 
So it has to set. So actually, it's a chemical reaction the way it, way it works. I don't know whether you you know about how it. How I don't it know sets. the specifics of the chemistry in it, but I, mean, I know the concrete always gets hot when it sets, right? It's very exactly. like it's an exothermic it's reaction exothermic. because you're losing uh, uh, entropy. It gets less less gets more ordered, and so therefore has to get hot. I didn't realise it was like a chemical reaction. I thought it was kind of like you know when jelly sets or something. Do you know what I mean? You think right. about that. It's sort of you put it cool and it just goes. I never, re- to be honest with you, I never really thought about it because okay. jelly is probably like a chemical reaction, or maybe that's a temperature reaction. I don't know. But anyway, let's just move on to the concrete stuff. <laughs> so, con- yeah. Con- so, so it's made of something called clinker. That's the main ingredient. Right. That's the stuff you have to make, and it has to be. What is it? what is clinker? It's a mixture of things, but basically it's kind of calcium silicates. Right. So dehydrated calcium silicates. And it's got a bit of alum- uh, aluminium oxide and okay. iron oxide and things like that in as well. Ground up mud. But you have to heat it. So to make cement, you have to heat some stuff. You mm. have to heat Put the energy in, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you, you take some limestone, basically. And this is, this is incredibly bad for the environment. So yeah, I've watched Grand Designs. They always they know hate it when they use concrete. Concrete is bad for the environment. In fact, if con- concrete manufacturer were a country, it would be the third highest carbon wow. emitter. And it's basically because when what you have to do is you have to take calcium carbonate and, heat the crap and you have to make calcium oxide from it. Right. So you have to heat it, and carbon dioxide comes out. And that's basically the problem with concrete. Mm-hmm. Right? You need to make lime, calcium oxide from it. Anyway, once you've done that, you've got the powder stuff. It's sintered stuff. You heat it up. It's a bunch of powder. You know, you see it in bags. You know what it is. Yeah. To mix it, what do you do? You add some water. Pour, pour water on it. Yeah. So what you spend all of, that, all of that energy putting, getting the water out. What the happens? first thing you do is you put water in. What happens then? It goes the magic sloppy. happens. The magic happens, Steve. Tell me what happens. Chemistry happens. Chemistry. <laughs> tell me, Steve. Um, well, I presume... I don't know. You don't know, nor did I. It's weird, isn't it? I don't know about the chemistry of it. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. Basically, all that happens is the water reacts with the calcium oxide to form calcium hydroxide, which crystallizes. So you get mm. crystals forming. And then you also get hydrated calcium silicate, which also crystallizes. So all it is is a formation of crystals of those two things. Crystals of calcium hydroxide and crystals of That's hydrated calcium. So you could do the same with salt. I don't like know. I wonder mate. if you could make a salt concrete. I don't know whether you could do that. I, but I mean, if you're saying if it's just it's just crystallized, this is just sugar coming out of your tea. Is all it is. Exactly. Yeah. So it just crystal, and and actually, concrete can take weeks to set properly. Or so years. They, they don't do any. Some can, some they don't do any strength tests on concrete. They take it's 28 days. Mm. They they start testing the the strength of it, and you've got to get the water mixture just right because the reaction can. If you've got too little water, it becomes brittle. You've got too much water, it never sets and it becomes porous. You get holes in it and things. Right. So it's never really, so you've got to get absolutely right. So all of these buildings are made of that stuff. Incredible, isn't it? Just grit out the ground. Is it, amor- is it an amorphous crystal? It must carbon. be an amorphous crystal. It's not a single, it must just be I like, wouldn't yeah. know, Steve. You'd have to investigate that more uh. tell me, um, because I don't know the difference. But yeah, so all of these buildings here, concrete. See, it's the second most used resource in the world, concrete, after water, by, wow. by mass. The thing that's consumed the most after water is concrete. Wow. More than fidget spinners. More than what? Fidget spinners. More than fidget spinners. (laughs) I thought that was the most consumed thing in the world. More than fidget spinners. More than anything. That's a bit of blast from the past. What happened to fidget spinners? They died a death, didn't they? I don't know. Um, Anyway, there you go. Nick. Look at those statues over there. What's that? 
uh, oh, naked, yeah, they're naked kind of like stylized ladies. Sorry, naked Karen. stylized ladies. Um, I was chatting to a colleague of mine. Yeah, who's a friend of the friend of the podcast. Is he? She. 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 Um, and she was uh, watching Supervet the other day. Super? Supervet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember, my we, remember, we, we, remember we did a podcast on Supervet? Hello, dear! <laughs> that fella. She says now she absolutely cannot watch him without Why hearing not? your impression of him. <laughs> 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 so, Vin, if you're out there, I felt like I needed to tell Nick that because uh, he was so, so, um, he loves doing his Irish impression. Uh, he was a very energetic fellow. Yeah. I was very surprised by that. <laughs> what I thought was an academic talk. <laughs> well, I think you described it as one of those profound uh, professional experiences of your life. Oh, it was weird, yeah. I've never been so entertained in a dry scientific meeting as I was that day. Steve. Nick. It's the summer. It is. Oh, it doesn't feel like <laughs> summer on the South Bank, I'll tell you that. You don't, lo- you don't live in a... A beautiful country market town of historic importance, do you? No, like I me? live in a beautiful suburb of North London. You live in, and you may not hear the same sounds as I hear on a summer's evening uh-huh. in Salisbury. What, I mean... We, see, we see bats a lot. Every, every evening we go out and see pickerel bats. Is that bats that people are beating each no, other with? No, 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 no. No, the flying mammal. Oh, okay, the flying mammal. Yeah, right. there's yeah. loads of them. That's well, quite we go and take the dog out, and I take the dog out because she goes out for a wee in the evening, and there's loads of bats. Does she notice them? Of course not. Uh, she, I mean, to be honest, she, she notices very little, if I'm honest. <laughs> uh, that's interesting, yeah. I mean, in, in Salisbury, I mean, do you know, if you're sitting in a garden, are there any sort of bird noises that you'd hear of an evening? Oh, you're getting find much interest? Um, I mean, I'm not so good with the birds, no. the different birds as you are. Um, I don't know if they've. Is there, is there well, I only really noticed it when I moved, like, when I came back from America and I moved, first of all, to Winchester. Yeah. And then Southampton and Salisbury. And once I'd heard it in Winchester, I just noticed it all the time now in the summer. It's a screaming sound in the evening. Like mm. a just constant screaming sound, and it's swifts, and ah, they're yeah. flying high up above. We, we sometimes see swifts circling in the park. around, yeah. yeah, flying around, and they're eating insects, or whatever. Right, swifts are insane. Right, swifts. I don't know much about swifts other than they they sleep they sleep while they're flying, don't they? That's what's thought to be ah, the case. That's okay. what I want to talk about. So people have thought for a long time that swifts sleep on the wing. Right. That's what's thought to happen. And that term on the wing just means that they, that just means they're, they're asleep, but when flying. they're flying. Yeah. And anyway, so there are, people have thought this for a long period of time and it's not really been confirmed. People don't really know. People know that they breed and usually with a swift, they, they come to, the, to Northern Europe to breed. Yeah. And then they go back over winter to Africa and they're in places like Nigeria and Cameroon, places like that, sub-Saharan Africa, that's where they go back to. So they're migratory birds. But no one's ever found any places where they sleep at night. So if you go to Africa, mm. there's never been any evidence of roosting swifts. People have looked, can't find but anywhere where they land. But just, uh, just so I understand it, other birds, that's quite common, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. most birds so sleep. Most birds land in a tree or whatever and they so sleep we, at night. So, so there's lots of documented evidence of robins having a little kip. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I go. I do night mountain biking at night yeah. and we cycle in the dark and often you'll disturb pigeons roosting in trees or crows yeah. or whatever and they'll fly out, you know, yeah. anything. So, yeah, most birds, they land and they roost in the of, of an evening. Swifts, they're not thought to do that. I mean, they certainly nest. Yeah. But they spend a lot of their time in the air. So to test this, a group in in so roosters means going to sleep. Sorry for the stupid. Roosters sleeping, yeah. And and nesting means like like laying eggs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they have right. to sit on the eggs. Yeah, okay, to got incubate it. Them. So right. you have to you have to. So you can't do that in the air. Can't do that in the air. Yeah. You got to land to breathe. You need a little. Egg, you need a little kind I of mean, that would be clever, wouldn't it? If you lay an egg, <laughs> sort of balanced on your head. 
while while flying. Anyway, yeah. this group in Sweden, they they made a micro transmitter. So they caught a bunch of swifts yeah. in Sweden, south of Sweden, yeah. Lund University. This was. And they fitted them with miniaturized uh, accelerometers and limited kind of geolocation device. Like a crap smartphone. A very, very yeah. low-fi, low-energy version that would just send yeah. a few signals, you know, right. intermittently, but would detect what the movement was, you know, and, and collect that data. And then they collected so them. So someone went out swift hunting. I think it's, you just put nets out. You can catch birds. I mean, that's true of all, all animals. You catch the... <laughs> Well, you could yeah. make a trap, I guess, I an elaborate trap, or you could fly around in an aircraft with a giant suction well, fan. On the front. At some point, someone went hunting for swifts. Yeah, that was their job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's Sorry, carry on. Just, isn't it? Anyway, so they designed this trap, put a load of transmitters on them, and yeah. they found something incredible. They did it with. Let me just check how many birds that they did it with. I think it was about twenty something birds. Yeah, twenty-eight birds. Um, and they found when they did that that. Um, some of the birds, over a period of 10 months, 10 months, never landed, not even once. They were airborne, wow. entirely airborne for 10 months. Not, didn't even land once. Other birds... So, that was seven so they eat, sleep, everything. Poop. Everything in the air. So they were constantly in the air for 10 months. They never landed once. You must be knackered after that amount of time, aren't you? I don't know, man. They must just be very low-energy flyers, so they're just eating and cruising around. And they also found other interesting things, like each day at dawn and at dusk... They're like the trident of uh, airborne animals. It's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> like just dawn and dusk, there were two long ascents of something in between three and four kilometres. So the birds just slowly ascended over three, and four, three or four kilometres. And the authors of the paper, which was published in a journal called Current Biologist a couple of years ago... They speculate what's going on. So they may be sleeping at that time when they're doing this gradual ascent. And it's been supported by, there's an aviator. It's just, these are just like, because no one's known this before actually it's been measured. Right. But uh, aviators have seen them in the air. Birds, very high up, big crowds of birds. There was a story, you know, a guy in a plane, this is years ago. He was flying, he saw this crowd of birds. Four kilometres up, 4,000 metres up. We went into the bird in the engine and he pulled the bird out when he got down and he found it was a swift. So right. from that he realised that these kind of, birds which are very very high up were actually swifts on a thermal and they just slowly float up so like oh come on but i just I, what i don't get is that like it's really hard like if you're a gl if you do gliding for a for a hobby it's really hard to stay in the air for like an hour right without falling out the air I, I, and I, like, I, yeah I, I would assume so so basically they just find a thermal where they switch on autopilot and have a little kip and they wake up four kilometers well, higher up no one knows if they sleep right so also oh, they might not be asleep for might, 10 months they might not they might not sleep who knows we don't ah, know to do okay. that you'd have to implant some kind of device in its brain or something a sleeping which sensor is very yeah. difficult to do so you just can't measure it but it is known that some animals although most animals sleep pretty much everything sleeps yeah things like killer whales and dolphins they go for months without sleeping so for instance after a killer killer whales had a calf neither the calf nor the mother sleep or exhibit any behaviors associated with sleeping for four to five months so some animals oh, may not be, God, be tired, sleep. I mean, you? sleep is another big subject yeah. we spent hours talking about. But yeah, who knows? We don't know whether swifts sweep, sleep on the wing or not. But we know yeah. that they spend, some of them spend 10 months without ever landing on the That's ground. incredible. They are totally aerial birds. Do you know how far they fly in their lifetime, a swift? They live up to 20 years. Well, how f let's have a think about it. How fast do they, they probably fly, I don't know, 15 miles an hour for 20 years? So, I don't know, 60,000 miles. 
much more than that. Uh. Yeah, they fly an equivalent distance, and we like to do this. I'm well, don't do it to the moon. Don't do it to the moon. <laughs> Seven times to the moon and back. Now. All right, so it's like four, that's three and a half million miles. It's six million kilometres. Uh. And that is 20, 20 light seconds, if you want to. 20 light seconds. They fly an incredible distance. So Swift's now, when I look up, I'm, I'm sitting in my garden with a nice glass of, um, what do I drink these days? Pecorino. 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 That's a cheese, mate. Pecori- <laughs> no, Pecorino wine. <laughs> I'm joking. Delicious from Sainsbury's. Tastes a difference. Yeah. Sitting in my garden with a bit of Pecorino wine on a chair. Swift screaming overhead. It's a beautiful summer sound. You'll become attuned to it now. Right, I'll the, tune I'm in sure now, you have yeah. them in London. Yeah, yeah, we do. Of an evening. Flying overhead. Just think, those birds. some of those birds have been flying around for month after month after month and have never landed. Just you think must be knackered. <laughs> you try to do anything for 10 months non-stop. You'd be knackered. Bunsen, Burner, Dolly, Machine, Internal, Combustion, Why Do We Need, Petri, Oscar, Ray. Isaac, Newton, Transplanting. Um, well, Nick, thanks for coming to meet me in this kind of slightly drab summer's day. Um, it's a, I would say this is a typical English summer's day. Yeah. It's sort of overcast. overcast. Prob- I would say it's about seven octas. Octas? Seven octas. What does that mean? I heard that word. No. It's a, a word for cloud cover. Is it really? Yeah, you measure it in eighths. So if you've got eight octas, it's totally overcast. Why? If you've why? got one octa, there's just a few. Why, why, but why not measure it in tenths, like a normal human? Just the way it's done. I mean, why? Why? Why are seconds? No, I agree. It's stupid. Of an hour? Yeah. Stupid. Anyway, there you go. Anyway, this is a typical. I can imagine a cricket game occurring on a day like this. I agree. And with, with one interruption, sometime before tea. And possibility that the game will lead to a draw. It's That's good weather for my dog. She'd like to go for a walk. It's about she wouldn't get too hot. I'd say it's about 20 degrees. A bit lower, I would say. I think it's, it, it feels low because there's quite a strong breeze. Yeah. But I think it's probably about 20 degrees today in the still air. And um, it's been lovely, though, chatting to chat mm. about all of the, the things hit sitting here on the South Bank. Well, if we should do it more often. Yeah, well, I like, I like our summer style style of podcast where we just met, wait, we meet up with terrible sound quality and listen to like lots of noise, background noise for for the the podcast. I think it adds to the atmosphere. Yeah. Anyway, Steve, if people want to find out a bit more about um, us, what should they do? Well, the best thing to do is contact us on Twitter. I'm at Steve the Chemist. I'm at the Evans Lab. Or you can just tweet at the Science Shed, and uh, we will respond to you. Um, we're going to probably uh, do a couple more of these over the summer yep. um, and have a little think about get, ba- get back into the top secret development lab Absolutely. of Science Shed Inc. Um, uh, as a, uh, we're on our kind of summer vacations and we'll think about how to reform and, and refocus in the years to come yeah. in the post-COVID world. Suggestions gratefully received. Okay. See you soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. We love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>